2: This is Central Texas Living with Ann Harder.
1: It is a pleasure for me to uh, introduce you to Dr. John Myers with Baylor Scott and White Hewitt Clinic. Dr. Myers, we're sort of still in this uh, lockdown, if you will, because of uh, coronavirus. What what are you seeing in your practice right now as a, a general practitioner?
2: Yes, ma'am. So it is a time of a lot of change, and so. What that means is that just a month ago, we were doing business as usual, we were seeing almost all of our patients in clinic, we were having them come in, doing labs in clinic, everything that we have normally done for a number of years, nothing had changed. And then this Coronavirus pandemic started. And so we've really been trying to change things quickly. And what that means is we're trying to switch to a lot of video visits to keep people safe. So we're trying to keep people who are sick, From coming into office and exposing others and we're trying to keep people who are well from coming into office and potentially getting exposed and all of this is happening very very quickly
1: so how has that changed your world I mean how do you do do you have like a a whole video system that you use to to uh, talk to folks from their homes
2: yeah and so you know honestly over the last month we've been scrambling and really trying to figure out which platform is best. There are a number of video platforms. We've used FaceTime. We've used our Epic medical record. We've used a lot of different things and we're starting to develop some best practices. And so currently there's a number of things that we can use. What I've been doing is uh, using a system where I actually, whenever I'm ready, I text you a link and you just click on it when it comes to your text messages and it opens up your video and then we're good to go. And that's worked really, really well and so um a month ago like i was saying i was seeing everybody in clinic so this morning i saw 11 patients and nine of them were through video and only two had to come in and so that i think has been a huge change from what everybody's used to from their medical care
1: yeah, but still you have to have blood work done you've got to have labs done how are you handling that
2: yes ma'am and so there's certain things we can postpone so if you're due for if you have type 2 diabetes and you're due for your three-month blood work and things have looked pretty good for a while. You know, we can postpone that. We can wait another couple of months. That's not too big of a deal. But there are people that we're worried about. So people with certain infections where we need to make sure that it's not becoming a more severe infection. Uh, people with uncontrolled diabetes. All sorts of labs like that. We do want those done. And so I think every clinic is trying to do things the best way we can. What we've done here at the Hewitt Clinic is our lab techs have set up an accessory lab at the front of the clinic in a waiting room that we're not letting anybody else in. And we have orange traffic cones in front of the clinic where people who need labs park. And then when they're ready, they call the front desk. Our lab people come in and get them. Our lab people are wearing masks and gloves. And they'll lead that person in individually so that they're not exposed to anybody else. And we'll get those labs done. Well, that,
1: you mentioning the personal protective equipment, what is, what is the status? We've been hearing about their shortages and so forth in the central Texas area. Oh, to your knowledge, are, are things okay as far as everybody having what they need?
2: You know, I think that um, in the central Texas area, we're in a better place than a lot of people. It's not perfect. It's not, we don't have abundant masks for everybody. Um, ideally, for protection, we would like to use N95 masks, which have a um, much more protection than your typical surgical mask, which a lot of people are wearing around to Walmart and that sort of thing. We don't have enough of those for everybody to wear a new one for every patient. So we've had to be, um, we have had to be creative. And so what I do, I have an N95 mask for each day of the week. I have them in brown paper bags, (laughs) labeled Monday through Friday. And I wear that same mask. So I'll wear my Monday mask all day long on Monday, I won't take it off at all. The more I take it off, the more I risk infecting myself. And so I'll leave that on all day long and then I'll take it off at the end of the day, it goes back in the bag and I won't wear it for another week. We know that the virus uh, seems to uh, survive on surfaces up to 72 hours. So if I wait that long, I should be fine. Um, but, uh, you know, the priority right now is to get the mask to the hospital. and so. That's really where those masks are going, so we don't have as many in the clinic, but compared to places like New York City and New Orleans that are getting slammed with coronavirus right now, we are in a much better place as a medical community.
1: Well, let's talk a little bit more uh, about COVID. Have Have you had patients, have you been seeing patients with COVID or suspected COVID?
2: I have. So it's starting to spread, you know, the, the data lags behind a little bit. It takes about five to six days for people who have been infected to develop symptoms. And then it takes uh, even up to another week to get severe symptoms. So people usually don't know that they have it until they've already had it for five or six days. And so as far as the numbers and the testing goes, it's usually going to lag about a week. Um, I did see actually the, uh, the first patient who ended up getting diagnosed with the coronavirus in McLennan County, I happened to see him in Saturday clinic that day, and thankfully I was wearing an N95 mask and gloves, and so I was able to stay safe, and my nurse was too, um, but he ended up having a positive coronavirus test, and that was the first one in the county. Um, after that, our clinic has had a number of other tests that have turned out positive, but most of those we've been able to do through video, which really minimizes the risk to our staff and to our future patients.
1: So have have many of your patients, you know, ended up really in critical kind of care, or are, are they a lot of the more mild cases that we're hearing that a lot of people have?
2: So far out of the handful of cases that we've seen in this clinic, we've only had one that's been hospitalized. Mm. The other five have all been able to be taken care of at home, and they've done just fine. So we do think that the pattern is going to continue, that most of these patients will have either mild or moderate symptoms, and they'll be able to self-treat at home. But it is the, the at-risk population, the elderly with uh, comorbidities, uh, diabetes, obesity, those sorts of things that we really worry about. That being said, we have seen evidence through the news of these other cities where young people can get very, very sick. So most people will do do fine, but there is always that risk in anybody who gets infected that it could turn uh, into a much more serious infection. And so what we recommend for people is if you have mild symptoms, treat at home. If you start developing shortness of breath or difficulty breathing we really want you to tell us so we can help advise you as to whether or not you can, can continue to stay at home or if you need to go in and be seen somewhere
1: let's talk about some of the the therapies we've been hearing about uh, the hydroxychloroquine if i'm saying that right uh sort of controversial now but uh, anecdotal uh success with it uh, how You know, kind of therapies you say if you've got some symptoms, is it just I'm just going to take some Robitussin and hope for the best, or or what? And I I have heard you don't take ibuprofen; you take Tylenol, right? Yes,
2: ma'am. Well, you know, and there's just so much unknown with this virus right now. And usually, whenever we're treating something, we have ample evidence as to what works, what doesn't work, what's harmful, what's not harmful. And we don't have that right now. So we've got we've got information coming out from world, you know, from places all over the world about um, potential risks and benefits of medication, and we don't really know what the best thing is right now. We're trying all sorts of things, and so what I've been advising people is there have been some reports that ibuprofen can be harmful. That's I would say unlikely, but it's possible. And so I have advised my own fam- my own family members if they do get sick, try to self-treat with Tylenol as much as you can. Try to avoid anti-inflammatory medications because we just don't know yet. And that's the same truth as far as things that we are hoping are actually helpful. So hydroxychloroquine, which you did pronounce correctly Uh, In azithromycin, which is the medication they're combining it with, we have some hope. There's been some data from some studies that it can be helpful, but there's been data from other studies that maybe it's not. And that's true of a lot of the antiviral medications and other things as well. And so we, we have some optimism, but we just don't know. So we're treating people who we think really need it, but we, we certainly don't want anybody out there just trying to get a prescription and take it themselves because there's a very real risk that you might be doing more harm than benefit.
1: Yeah, and that particular drug, I think, was, was for a specific thing, lupus and some, some issues like that. And it would yes, obviously be an, an off... Just a different, a different way to use it, and that has to be tested. And I, I get all that. Um, we're really looking forward to, to the day when things get back to normal, whatever normal is going to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, but so we get through the summer, maybe things are a little more relaxed, hit school time again, are we going to see this whole thing again? What, what do we have to look forward to? Is there some herd immunity that may help things?
2: I hope so. So I think that that's the million dollar question. When will life get back to normal? Yeah. And we're all hoping that sooner than later. Um, you know, we think that this initial wave will probably last a month or a couple months. We don't really know exactly what the end point is. But there is a chance that this could come back in a couple more waves in the fall and than in the winter. And we just don't know that yet. There's some evidence that, you know, viruses do mutate. The flu virus in particular mutates very quickly. There's evidence that coronavirus does not mutate that quickly or at least this particular strain of coronavirus. So that is good news. So there's a chance that it will not come back in more waves. But listening to the, the experts, Dr. Fauci and the other physicians who are leading the national uh, guidelines on this issue, they do have some concern that it could come back in several waves. And if it does, it's just really hard to predict when life will get back to normal. And so we're all adjusting on the fly and doing the best that we can. And I think what we need to do is, is do the best we can to protect ourselves and others by by socially isolating and wearing masks in public, whenever we do have to go out. But eventually, with this virus, just as with previous viruses, we will develop herd immunity. Uh, the The key is we don't want everybody to get infected at the same time. We want that to happen slowly because then we won't over, overwhelm our healthcare system as much. And then the the most important thing will be um getting a vaccine and and i've heard timelines ranging from nine months to 18 months and so we're looking at maybe a year year and a half when we have a working vaccine that's going to be a game changer and that will make this whole pandemic um, much more control much more controllable and so that's really what we're waiting for
1: yeah but i still think folks like me you know in that up getting into that upper age group and uh you know, I'm just not going to be that comfortable. I don't think going into large crowds, we're, we're supposed to fly to Florida in June. I'm not, I'm just not so sure I want to do that. So, you know, though, there's, it could be a while before folks are really kind of comfortable.
2: Yes. Yeah, um, you are 100% right. So My recommendation to anybody that I'm really worried about, my recommendation to everybody is socially isolate because even if you're not at high risk, you're gonna be putting other people who are at higher risk, who you love at more risk than they should be. But certainly for people who are older with comorbidities, with diabetes, obesity, anything of that nature, I really am cautioning them strongly to take this virus seriously. And if you don't need to fly, don't fly. If you don't need to be around large, crowds. Don't go around large crowds. Stay home. Get out during the day um, to walk and exercise. The weather's getting nice. So do those things because that's important for your health. Try to connect with people, friends and family and loved ones through the phone or through video chat, whatever you need to do to keep that social interaction going. But as much as you can, the virus requires close contact. Um, That's its main source of spread is through us breathing uh, each other on each other and in in the same air. And so as much as you can, staying away from people, that's really the only way to be absolutely sure that you're not going to get this thing. And so I really recommend that people do that.
1: It's a very serious thing. And I, and I know you've got patients waiting on you and I certainly appreciate um, you taking some time to, to chat with us today about this. It sort of consumed our worlds and uh, and yet, I think there will come a day where we'll go. Oh, remember when we all had to lock that? You know, I'm I'm hoping that day comes soon.
2: Yes, ma'am, and I hope that day sooner rather than later as well.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, thank you so much, Dr. Myers.
2: You're welcome. Have a great day. You too. Thank you, doctor. We appreciate it. Okay. Thanks, ma'am.
1: Yeah, I, I decided not to not to do the. Not to do the James Lipton. I'll do that when I, I normally ask my uh, <clears throat> guests things like, "What's your favorite word? What's your favorite sound? What do you want to hear God say to you when you enter the?" Program? <laughs> I'll ask. I'll ask you those questions when we have our first uh, professional visit.
2: Okay, that sounds good to me. <laughs> Okay. Did I did I pass your test? Are you going to come to Hewitt or are you going to stay over there with McClanahan?
1: No, 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 no. No, I, I'm, I'm coming to Hewitt. I'm coming. Okay. To- <laughs>
2: okay. Well, thank you so much. I really I did appreciate it.
1: I think you'll understand.
2: <laughs> he will. He will. He's a great guy.
1: Yeah. Okay. All right. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Okay. You. Thank you. Bye, guys. Thanks. Take you. care. You all take care. For sure. Thanks. Okay. Pleasure meeting you. All right. Hey, thanks, Mike. And um, yeah, I'll check with uh, Patrick Swanton. I think we'll get Swanton yeah. on. Yeah. Uh, we can do this tomorrow. I'll see if yeah. he'll be. Just good drop time. me an email. That'd be great. Okay, good. Thank okay, you. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Public faith in government is being sorely tested these days we're looking to our elected leaders like never before in what's being termed a wartime effort against the spread of COVID-19 or the coronavirus. The demise of civility in our public discourse does not seem to be abating at all, though. Bringing civility back to the public arena is the underlying theme of a new book by Dr. Joel Harder called When Leaders Matter, How Civility, Integrity, and the Leaders We Need are possible. Joining me now, it's author, Dr. Joel Harder, who's the founder and president of Oklahoma Capital Culture. You also serve as chaplain to the Oklahoma House of Representatives, and in full disclosure, you're my middle son. So uh, all the nepotism out of the way, Joel, it's it's great to have you on the podcast today.
0: I'm honored to be here.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, when we, we did a television interview, gosh, not that long ago, and never dreamed we'd be in quarantine and and so we're, we're seeing our leaders so much more and you've been thinking about this and and civility in our discourse and so forth and, and you've got a recent uh, op-ed in the uh, Tulsa world tell me what kind of precipitated that and what your thoughts are right now
0: well you know as we look at the situation um, that we are currently in it is more apparent than maybe Uh, It has been in recent time that our leaders really do matter. You know, so much of our political discourse um, in our country over the last many election cycles has been to either kind of think too highly of our leaders, put them on a pedestal, or to completely demonize them and belittle them. Uh, And if you like a leader, you think that what leaders do is great. If If you don't like a leader, then you don't think that they uh, really have much control over your life or say and what you do or think it's all based upon how you feel or about them or or whether or not agree with you or you agree with them. but you know at a moment very evident that leaders do matter the the leaders uh, that are serving uh, at all levels of government, uh, particularly state and local levels though uh, really do matter, and they have authority uh, that is granted to them in a public trust, and we look to them uh, to fulfill the functions of their leadership. Um, But, you know, we do look to our leaders, especially in times of crisis, for decisive action guidance and to navigate complex and interrelated challenges. But our leaders then depend on us to work together as those difficult and sometimes costly decisions are made it's it, it, it is it's a cooperative effort between leaders and the people they serve and what I've really discovered now years of working with leaders and people serving and' is that uh, there is a way to engage with our leaders that cuts through just the, the tired partisan narratives and the and the cycles of incivility uh, if if we're willing to do it. If that's what we really want, uh, we can stop this continual, seems like a downward cycle of, of of divisiveness that's in our culture. But it does start with really engaging our leaders and believing they matter and thinking better about how we approach them.
1: Now, in your op-ed, you, you wrote, you say the first thing we need to remember is that leaders are people too. I mean, that mm-hmm. it's sort of self-evident, but I think sometimes we do forget that.
0: Yes. It, you, you know, in the book, I as I look at leaders and I kind of make a case for the fact that leaders do matter. Uh, you know, one of the things that we have to remember and discover when we are thinking of leaders is that we are thinking of people. Um, yes, they do hold uh, positions of authority; they do fulfill an important function. But they are people serving in positions of leadership, and we need to learn to hold the the person uh, in distinction from the the position that they serve in, and just remember that they are people like you and me. Uh, they just are are on a journey of public service and leadership. And when you remember they are a person, um, you can sympathize a little more. Uh, you can think, uh, you know, what are the challenges that they have outside of their responsibilities uh, in office? Um, probably they're a lot like the responsibilities and challenges that you have, and what helps you. Um One of my great gifts uh, and privileges being a chaplain is to speak with family members of our elected leaders and you know I have great conversations and and I hear things such as you know uh, you know during during the session, he just has so much pressure on him, he doesn't want to let the people he's representing down or uh, one one time a, a family member said, you know during a legislative session. Uh, we had multiple deaths in the family, and and she just didn't have an opportunity to grieve, and that was a really hard year. Um, and we, when we remember that they are people, um, and they have you know lives, and those lives don't stop when they're at the Capitol about the 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 work of the people, um, we can think better about how to uh, engage with them, encourage them, and 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 uh, really restore a basic sense of respect, so often we will reduce uh, political leaders uh, down to nothing more than a caricature of the political party, usually, that they represent. Uh, and that's, you know, when you do that, you're, you're, you're treating them as less than a person, which is really one of the worst things that we can do to anybody. Um, and so remembering they are people is foundational in, in the approach to engaging leaders that I outline in the book.
1: But, Joel, we've had just decades, really, of hyper-partisanship, and uh, it, it just has gotten worse and worse, it seems. And and one would hope that in this national crisis we're in, we'd have that, um, you know, God bless America moment, like after 9-11, where everybody was on the steps of the Capitol and everybody linked arms and to fight a common enemy, and um, not really seeing that. Uh, well in this day, is there hope
0: y- yes absolutely and and you know one of the things that I really try to encourage people when I talk about how to engage leaders is uh, you know the approach to engaging leaders that I outline in the book it, it works across the board uh, leaders in, 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 at any level of office, but there is a strategic advantage to the the place uh, closest to where you live and work, and when you focus on state and local leaders first. Um, that is one of the best ways to cut through um, the, the tendency to just default to our partisan uh, narratives. Uh, a- actually, a recent Gallup poll was very encouraging in the moment of crisis that we're in dealing with the, the spread of COVID-19 that uh, polls are encouraging, cur- encouragingly showing that you know, public health messages are being heard, and heated, Uh, People are reporting high levels of trust in public hospitals, state health agencies and state governments. And so when you get a little closer to home, uh, you do have a greater opportunity to to uh, have more positive uh, feelings and thoughts about your leaders, engage them better. Because the truth is, is that uh, when you start closer to home, you're also remembering that we're really neighbors after all. And we can come together to find common ground, uh, to find solutions that are creative and innovative to the problems that we share. But when you do focus and look uh, at you know, just the national leaders, um, sometimes that gets so far removed from our everyday life um, that, that we just kind of default to kind of our binary way of thinking. You know, Everything is up, down, left, or right but our problems are really much more complex than that and the solutions will be as well. Uh, and so uh, there's a lot of hope, uh, especially when you focus uh, a little closer to home, start with state and local leaders. And also just on a practical note, if you focus on uh, state and local leaders first, uh, they're more accessible. Uh, their constituencies are smaller uh, than you know national leaders. There's better opportunities that you can have to actually dialogue with them and build meaningful uh, relationships. And uh, most of our state and local leaders are just great people that feel called to serve and want to serve, and they don't necessarily have ambition for higher office, but some of them do. And you have an extraordinary opportunity to uh, forge a really positive, constructive relationship with a a leader when they're serving at the state and local level, And, and that relationship can continue as the wheels of their political fortune turn.
1: Uh, in your book, you talk about a, a concrete strategy, really, mm-hmm. for uh, bringing about change in our leaders, and you kind of divide the the book up in in uh, what do we expect for our leaders, um, uh, and what do we ask of our leaders, and and those kinds of things. W- what is your strategy for well, <laughs> the, the, all the people out here? You know, who are, who are kind of watching these things happen?
0: Absolutely. Well, and you know i whenever i'm looking for wisdom or guidance something that's really going to work and work in a in a, a meaningful way to transform culture you know i've got to get outside of myself i can't just do what i think might be right or good or uh, a good idea i look to examples strategies and history and and i i base the strategy for engaging leaders uh, off of uh, a letter that was written from uh, the Apostle Paul to Timothy. And Timothy is serving in a, a local church in a really strategic place in the Roman Empire. And Paul gives him some guidance on how to uh, lead the people to transform the culture by engaging leaders. And, and he says to, to pray for our leaders, to adopt an attitude of thanksgiving, gratitude for them, uh, and And to set all other agenda aside and and just simply desire good for them as a person and so that that's kind of the the basis upon which I've developed this approach and and so the three steps to the process are first and foremost be believe leaders matter uh you know kind of break the own uh break those thoughts that that are in your head about just you know really getting angry or frustrated or feeling contempt often towards. Uh, leaders, when you don't agree with them, just remember they are people, and and they are serving in a place of leadership, and they matter. And then uh, begin by adopting an attitude giving for uh, you know. We want to jump to the end and ask more one others to to vote a certain way. We want leaders to have certain issues the way we want them to intervene. But before you ask any leader. The second step of the process is to ask more for them. And obviously, I'm a chaplain. Uh, I'm an ordained minister. I've been a pastor. So for me, prayer is a very natural way to do this, to, to simply pray for them, uh, pray for them to be people of integrity, pray for them to be people of patience, pray for their families, um, pray for them to be blessed. When you do that, doing is you're you're, you're just practicing uh, uh what the dalai lama actually calls warm-heartedness and you're you're breaking down the resentment or contempt in your own heart and mind and you're just and you're just desiring good for them uh and if you've done that you can move to the third step which is to ask more of them now you can have these positive conversations with them and construct conversations with them. Uh, you know, there are times where, where uh, issues arise and, and you're a constituent and definitely take full advantage of the representative democracy and the privilege that we have to talk to our leaders. And we should do that. But before we ask anything of a leader, uh, does, ask more for them. Uh, let them know that you're praying for them or, or give them a, an encouraging word. That goes so far. Never underestimate the power of your words to encourage a leader to maintain integrity. And then you can have those other other conversations. But, you know, sometimes they'll agree with you and, and, and vote the way you want them to, but sometimes they won't. And they have a lot of constituents and they're balancing a lot of issues. But whether or not, um, you know, you agree with your leaders or you voted for your leaders, remember the most important thing we need of our leaders is for them to be people of integrity. You know, uh, somebody can disagree with me. Somebody can have a different uh, set of principles or different priorities that are, are in conflict with my own. Um, and that's okay. Um, they can still lead and, and, and navigate the differences with integrity and skill. And I would rather that they, are, are people of integrity than necessarily people who always agree with me.
1: How, how can folks get a copy of your book, Joel? Well, it's
0: available uh, right now on Amazon. Uh, you can go to Amazon.com and just search When Leaders Matter. It's also available through Barnes & Noble. You can get both the print or the uh, e-book at Amazon or Barnes & Noble, or you could go really anywhere books are sold. Uh, they can get you a copy if they're not carrying it in, in the store at the time. They can order it for you, but you can go Amazon, Barnes & Noble. There's also a website for the book, whenleadersmatter.com, and you can find more information about uh, about me, about the book, and about how to get a copy at whenleadersmatter.com.
1: Okay, well, I'd like to end our conversations here with my version of the late James Lipton's questionnaire he used on Inside the Actors Studio. Of course, he based it on one from Bernard Pivot's uh, talk show Apostrophe and he credited Marcel Proust. So all that set up. And uh, I didn't tell you about this earlier. So Joel, these are, these are a surprise. But the question is, what is your favorite word?
0: My favorite word? Mm, that's a great question. Well, it's probably, it's, uh, I'll, I'm in a good pastory. It's a Greek word called kenosis.
1: Mm-hmm. And it,
0: it means to to empty yourself. Um, it, it was the word used in Philippians when it said that Jesus, uh, though he was in his very nature God, did consider equality with God as grasp, but he emptied himself. That was a mysterious act of humility that I don't think we could ever possibly comprehend. kenosis.
1: Okay, what's your least favorite word? nickel what fickle
0: pumpernickel
1: oh pumpernickel right. okay what turns you on spiritually creatively or emotionally
0: playing the guitar
1: okay very good what sound do you love most
0: the sound of my children sleeping
1: <laughs> and uh well, <laughs> what sound what sound do you like the least <laughs>
0: My children not to sleep. No, that that of the old the old fashioned alarm clock sound.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, what other profession would you like to try?
0: I always uh, would have loved to have been a criminal prosecutor.
1: Okay. Hmm. What job do you know you would not like to do?
0: A primary ed school teacher.
1: <laughs> because that's what you've been doing, right? Because that's, yes. Okay. Yeah, I know there are a lot of a lot of homeschooling parents that never thought they'd be doing that. All right, the last question, Joel, what do you want to hear God say to you when you arrive at the pearly gates?
0: Oh, I, I probably want to hear him say, well done. May, maybe also, um, it really is just like Colorado.
1: So you're you're imagining what heaven will be. Right?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. All
1: right. Joel, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate the work that you're doing up there in Oklahoma. And um, again, you can uh, get When Leaders Matter, how civility, integrity, and the leaders we need are possible off of Amazon. Thanks so much, Joel. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, bye-bye. Central Texas Living is part of the Rogue Media Network family. Be sure to check out their other shows at rogemedianetwork.com. Please rate us five stars on iTunes and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Join us again soon for more Central Texas Living, the podcast. This has
2: been Rogue Media Network Podcast.